Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Football Social Daily with German Donner Kebab. Get it delivered to your door via Deliveroo or Uber Eats. Hello, this is Football Social Daily, the Premier League podcast packed with news and opinion, still soldiering on through lockdown. So hit subscribe and you won't miss an episode of the show. Every time a new one is ready, you'll be notified straight away. And just because there's no action on the pitch doesn't mean there's nothing to talk about off it, because the big Premier League story this week has been Newcastle United. After false dawn following false dawn regarding takeovers, it looks like they'll finally be rid of Mike Ashley. But with a Saudi-backed consortium, the impending new owners, many questions have been raised in the areas of human rights, sports washing et al. But is it really up to the supporters to concern themselves with the politics of football ownership? A turbulent topic and one we'll be discussing on the podcast shortly. Also, we'll be asking whether Declan Rice is the best young player in the Premier League right now. That's what one of his teammates seems to think. Plus, with players deciding to take wage cuts to help their clubs in our strained national services, Arsenal's Mesut Ozil has ruffled a few feathers, to put it mildly, by allegedly refusing to take a cut on his mammoth 350 grand a week gunner's wages. More on that later. I'm Niall, and joining me on the podcast today, locked down, of course, we have Steve McNaughton. Hello, Steve. Hey, Niall. You OK, mate? Yeah, all good here, mate. And we've also got Adam Keyworth. Hello, Keezy. Hi, mate. You all right? Yeah, not too bad. Right then, there's only one place to start on today's podcast, and that is Newcastle United Football Club. After years of Mike Ashley rule, numerous banners, protests and discontent, it looks like Newcastle are finally going to be rid of Ashley as a deal to purchase the club from him is edging closer and closer to completion with British businessmen selling the club to a consortium fronted by Amanda Staveley, a woman who has tried and failed to take the club off of Mike Ashley's hands in the recent past. Now, her latest efforts are backed by wealth from the Saudi Arabians. And when I say the Saudi Arabians, I mean, in fact, the overtly wealthy Saudi Arabian royal family and what is called their public investment fund. Now, 10 years ago, it was the dream, wasn't it? Your club to be taken over by wealth from the Middle East and sort of propel you into European football and win your trophies. Just look what it's brought to Manchester City, both on and off the pitch. But 10 years on, it brings allegations of sports washing and human rights abuses. 
To me, Adam, this feels like a tricky situation. I can see both sides of the coin here. So as someone who's been through a takeover in similar circumstances, Arabian or Middle Eastern wealth coming into your club and propelling you to success, what's, what's your take on this situation? See, we, we talked about this last week uh, on the pod. The, there's got to be, firstly, the, the difference in what this is. This is actually the, the state-funded takeover that Cities wasn't. Cities money does come from some sort of higher higher power within the country, but it's actually its own group, whereas this is, by all accounts, coming from the state. So we haven't really seen this yet. Um, one thing that we were talking about last week is just just how different the times are as well, uh, with FFP being a thing or whatever sort of thing you think it is. It's very different now. You can't just come in and spend this vast amount of money at once, and I also think that, I don't know, it's almost like, have Newcastle missed the boat or is this the start of a new one where where it's the right time? I, I don't know. The, the whole thing about the politics and trying to separate the politics from the football is difficult. But I think where you, where you ask the question, is it a fan's job um, to look at it from a moral point of view? I think yes and no. I think obviously what's... What's very different in Saudi Arabia and the Middle East in general, their their morals are very different, and it's it's very diff- difficult not to look at it and look at it in a negative light. But at the same time, as a football fan, it's almost like if if the Premier League are accepting of it and the FA are accepting of it, is it your job? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I think you can almost you can be very angry at what's going on, but then also think well. It's just football as well. It's it's a really tough one. I think you can look at it from many different angles. But do I think Newcastle fans in general are going to be that bothered? Probably not. Um, I think at first, anyway, they're going to look at this as a massive opportunity for the football club. But then let's give it 12 months and see where they are then. Well, we're going to get a Newcastle fan on the show very shortly. We're going to have a, an old friend of ours. Phil Hudson's going to make a singing and dancing return to the show for a bit of a cameo. Uh, so before we hear from Phil, we've seen people commenting on this in the press, most notably the likes of Richard Keyes and Stan Collymore. Is it a little bit hypocritical for them to be passing off moral comments on this situation and sort of fly the flag for morality when they themselves have kind of been embroiled in controversial issues in their recent history. Is is this not a bigger a bigger thing of why are the media keep why they keep asking these people the questions? Like genuinely nobody cares what Richard Keyes has got to say about Newcastle's takeover. It really people are just looking for they're looking for easy controversy. So they're asking Stan Collymore, they're asking Richard Keyes. It's a bit like the Sue Ness and Pogba thing all over again where with we're asking these people the questions when it's not them we really should be asking, is it? It's Newcastle fans, it's it's like Alan Shearer and past managers. Richard Keyes is just another soundbite. You say about speaking to someone with uh, black and white running through their veins, so why not do that right now, making, a, as I said, a return to the podcast for the first time in 2020. This is like uh, introducing a wrestler to the ring, isn't it? <laughs> Phil Hudson. Phil, we may as well get straight into it because... We've spoken on the podcast to you so many times about Mike Ashley and his wrongs and some of his occasional rights. But my question is, as a fan, should Newcastle supporters really be expected to have moral bearings when it comes to club ownership? Surely that's the last thing on fans' minds when they turn up to St. James's every other Saturday. 
I mean, for example, most of these supporters were Newcastle fans before Mike Ashley, and they're going to be Newcastle fans after Mike Ashley. Precisely. And I mean, the other thing to consider here is, and this isn't any form of defence at all, but the, the, the level of wealth required to own Premier League clubs now and be successful, by and large, means that pretty much all Premier League owners will have done something that would be questionable in terms of morality, certainly not legally, you know, I wouldn't dream of saying that. But, you know, if you look at Abramovich, if you look at Mansour, you know, these these guys have all done things that might consider to be morally on the margins. So to the idea that Newcastle fans should be the the, the outpost who say, no, no, we, we will not accept this, seems, seems just a bit far-fetched to me personally. Um, I think that the, the, the key point you made there is the club will endure beyond Mike Ashley and endure beyond this, this ownership. You know, we've had we've had other owners before. We, we even had you know Lord Westwood and McKay and people that I can remember. And and irrespective, of, I'm I'm interested in the, the interests of Newcastle United. I'm not necessarily interested in wading into a geopolitical debate about soft power and sports washing and and things like that. That's not for the average football fan to discuss for me. You know, there's a fit and proper persons test, mm. and if the ownership model meets that and they obviously feel pretty confident that they will because they've invested a substantial deposit if, if they meet the, those standards then there's absolutely no reason why they can't be given the you know the permission to own the club to acquire the club yeah they can't just change the rules just because a new owner's coming in who they possibly aren't fond of because i mean you've got then half the premier league knocking on your door saying well hang on a sec you let these other boys in so what about why 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 are you you know, turning a, a, your nose up against us. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's been a development today that being sports, the Qatari-based broadcaster have written to the Premier League and, and expressed reservations about the takeover. And I don't I don't see what the Premier League can realistically do. They've got they've got rules in place and they can't be seen to circumnavigate those rules. They've got to apply the rules that are in place as they are. And the idea that a, a foreign broadcaster would be able to dictate who can and can't own Premier League clubs is, is absurd. It's It's a... You know, it, it's clearly a, a political beef between Qatar and Saudi Arabia, um, as as it is, and uh, and we, you know, why they're getting involved is, is is literally beyond me. Okay, from matters off the pitch to matters on it, Steve Bruce, the current Newcastle United manager, he's it's said that he's going to be given a chance to prove himself um, and get Newcastle a little bit further up the table than they are at the moment when the season resumes in order to prove that he is the man for the job when this flood of money comes in and investments can be made. What's your take on that, Phil? I think with all respect to Steve Bruce, um, I mean, I've been very vocal in my criticism of him um, the, earlier this year. I, I think we've been incredibly fortunate at times. But um, with, with all respect to Steve Bruce, I, I can't realistically see this consortium giving him the job. I think his limitations are plain to see and I think that this is the the fair way to do it. I think it serves a purpose for the consortium in that it gives them time to identify who that man is um, and, and it allows a more in, you know, in, in, in the current situation it allows an easier transition I think um, realistically I think I think you know the, the, the word in the press is that they're looking top table um, Pochettino's name has been mentioned as the top target um, but Rafa's name is, is always in the frame like an XD, you can never quite get over that you're lost. <laughs> come um, on then, come on then. Poch or Rafa? If you had to choose one or the other. Someone put this to me the other day and it's such a difficult one. Um, I think that we'll play better football under Pochettino. And I think that if the ambition of the club is to attract 
genuine elite footballers from ball one, then I would go with Pochettino. If the ambition of the club is to grow more organically, there's a huge infrastructure job to do um, in terms of improving the training ground, um, improving youth development, all, all this sort of stuff that is away from the first team. I think that sort of legacy role in, in terms of changing the whole infrastructure of the club might be more suited to Benitez. Um, but I mean, you know, don't get me wrong, I'd, I'd literally walk over hot coals to have either of them in the hot seat at St. James's Park um, <laughs> at the moment. Um, you know, does, the other names does, that have been touted are people like Allegri. Does the, Benitez, does the Benitez thing, though, Phil, link into the fact that you've got these two Ruben brothers who say they know the city, like you say, they, they own the racecourse and whatnot. Benitez kind of bought into that understanding Newcastle-upon-Tyne mentality. Do you think that that would play into the hands of the new ownership in terms of maybe hunting for a new manager? Let's say Steve Bruce isn't fortunate enough to keep the job. <laughs> Rafa already knows the city, already knows the demographic. I think, I think Benitez's relationship is more with Amanda Stabley. If I'm honest, um, when she first appeared on the scene, there were reports that she'd met with Benitez at the time um, and, and things like that. So I think Benitez has had dialogue with Amanda Staley on some level. Um, so that, that again, is why you think, well, he might be more of a um, more of a potential candidate. Obviously, the issue is that his contract in China is gargantuan and would cost them a fortune to buy out. Not that I think that necessarily worries these lads. Um, but... At the same time, I think Pochettino would be a fantastic appointment. It, 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 it's, it's really weird because the notion that we'd be talking about this is so far removed from what Newcastle fans thought would happen. I mean, the, the, the new regime have a, a mandate, you know, they, they want to engage with the fans, they want to engage with the community. And the, there's ways that they can do that without necessarily making a, an emotional managerial appointment. You know, you can bring Keegan back in as an ambassador and get Shearer involved, and they, they'll do all that stuff. I've got absolutely zero doubt whatsoever. Um, and, and that would get them some more local buy-in immediately and still give them the freedom to appoint the manager that they think is the best possible shout. Before we let you go, Phil, are you genuinely excited about this? I can hear it in your voice. I mean, we've had this so many times, you know, in the last 18 months of, of us doing Football Social Daily, we've had so many discussions usually around the time of a transfer window saying, oh, well, there's possible investment in Newcastle here. Staveley's back again there. There's another possible investor here. And it's all kind of fallen flat on its face and expectedly so from the Newcastle fans who know that most of it's been hot air. But this time, it's real. It's happening. I mean, you can tell the excitement in your voice. I don't think as a fan you can fail to be excited. You know, it, you know you're know, you thinking about who we could sign and we are literally going to be 10 times wealthier than Man City, which is just insane. But at the same time, um, you, you guard against that because we have had so many false dawns. And as I've said on numerous occasions, I believe it when I see Amanda Staley doing keepy-ups in the centre circle at St. James's Park with a Newcastle scarf around her neck. Um, <laughs> until, until then, nothing signed and sealed, you know, and it would be a very... Newcastle fans were naturally pessimist anyway. So, you know, we have a, a very real feeling that at some point the rug will come from under our feet and we'll, um, and we'll be nagged. But... You know, should it all go through, the, the potential of the club and the possibilities of the club are pretty significant. And I, I mean, the idea that we would go and watch great players play at St James's Park in black and white shirts is is very intoxicating. Yeah, Phil, great to chat to you again, mate, and hope you're keeping safe and everything during lockdown. And maybe the next time we chat, Newcastle United will be Mike Ashley free zone. Well, I hope so, mate. <laughs> and as I say, uh, all the best to everyone down there. It is, uh, it, is, it is interesting times that we live in. Speak soon, pal. Take care, Phil. Good to chat to you, mate.
So that's a Newcastle United fan's opinion on the situation. Possibly new owners in the offing. Newcastle United, of course, owned by Mike Ashley for so long, but now it looks like they might be finally rid of him. Those supporters that have uh, voiced their opinions massively over the last few years. And now it looks like a Saudi-backed consortium are to be the new owners of the football club. Right then, away from one United to another, from Newcastle to West Ham United. And Jack Wilshere has said that his teammate, an England midfielder, Declan Rice, is the best young player in the Premier League. Now, I can hear you laughing there, Steve. Um, This one took me aback a little bit. Is this just mates looking out for each other during lockdown? Yeah, definitely, yeah. It's, It's... You know, to to come out and say that Declan Rice is is the best young player in the Premier League is is just absolute madness. He's a good player. I think that he's still a little bit inconsistent. I think he could have more for West Ham this season, if I'm honest, when I've watched him. Um, Is he a talent? He absolutely is. Will he probably go to a bigger club than West Ham at some point in the future? He probably will do. You know, will he be in and around the England squad? Uh, I do think he will be, but will he start games for England all the time? I don't think he will do. Um, I can think of one player straight away who's a much better young player than him. Go on. Uh, well, Trent Alexander-Arnold. I, I've just written a list, right, of better young players from my point of view in the Premier League, and I've he's probably not going to get in the top ten. So, well, you've got you've got from this season alone Trent. Uh, you've got Wan-Bissaka at United, Grealish, Madison, Rashford, Abraham, Traore, Jesus. I mean, you, you're having all of those before you even start talking about Declan Rice. I think I think Rice had a massive impact last year, and then I haven't really seen much else of him this year. I don't know if that's due to West Ham being rubbish, but he's a good player. But... That's even before you've dived into that kind of you know ten and above, isn't it? You know when you bring Phil Foden into the mix and yeah. stuff like that. Um, I just think it's a, it's a wild statement for Jack Wilshere to make. I, th- I think he is wrong, and I think we're probably classing. Um, young players as under 23s here if you look at statistics James Madison's been the best young player in the Premier League in terms of chances created and whatnot but obviously in terms of that role is it fair to say that Declan Rice is the only one of that age bracket who fits that role and fits that role to a, a top standard no one placed I mean the players that Keezy's listed there they're all attacking players aren't they and defenders no one's really playing that central midfield role it's true there aren't many players who do play that role really um, as a proper stopper in midfield, there aren't many in the Premier League generally. Yeah, um, there's no like it, the Kante is knocking round, is there? You know, the the next Kante, you know, they're yeah. not coming through, are they? Really? Um, so one, I think, yeah, it's difficult. I was going to say one thing that is going for Declan Rice is being a young player who is that proficient in that role is always a really strong thing to be, because there aren't many of them, and if you can get it right so young, you've players who play in that position. You look at Fernandinho at City, who's near, what thirty four. And now playing centre-half, you've got a huge career if you play in that role, potentially. Um, so he's no doubt going to have an amazing career, but he's yeah, he's miles away from Trent in terms of best young player this season. OK, well, Jack Wilshere's opinion quashed pretty quickly there. If you've got one, let us know on social media, at the Sports Social. Send us some questions as well, because on Friday, like every Friday during this coronavirus isolation period, we'll be doing a Q&A podcast. So send us your questions and we'll try our very best to answer them here on Football Social Daily. Now then, if you're sick of cooking during this lockdown and maybe you're fed up of the same old takeaways time and time again, why not try something different tonight? Get a German doner kebab in, authentic kebab 
kebabs made using lean succulent meats, hand toasted breads and signature sauces. Sounds good, doesn't it? And even better, you can order on Uber Eats or Deliveroo. And talking of Deliveroo and talking of German Donner Kebab, GDK Glasgow has teamed up with Deliveroo to contribute 30,000 free meals to NHS workers and vulnerable people. So just wanted to say big hand to our sponsor, GDK. Great effort from them. That's actually really, really angered me because I moved out of central Manchester and now I can't actually get this. <laughs> There's one in Oldham, so, Keezy. There's one in Oldham. I, I don't live close enough to Oldham. <laughs> <coughs> Why have you done this? <laughs> he's, he's not happy. He's not happy. Anyway, if you fancy GDK, make sure you head over to the website, germandonnerkebab.com. This is Football Social Daily. Don't go anywhere. Football Social Daily with German Doner Kebab. Slow-cooked, succulent meats delivered fast to your door. Search for us via Uber Eats and Deliveroo. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Welcome back to Football Social Daily, your usually daily Premier League podcast. But due to this coronavirus lockdown period, we're not quite as daily as we once were. But don't fear, we'll still be bringing you three new podcasts a week. And on today's agenda, we've been talking about the potential new ownership at Newcastle United. Now it's time to talk about Arsenal. No potential new ownership here, but certainly some potential ruffled feathers if they haven't been ruffled already. What I'm talking about is that Mikel Arteta has encouraged his players to take a 12.5% pay cut on their wages. He's asked all the players to do the same. Some players have said yes. In fact, most players have said yes. But one player has apparently said no. That player is Mesut Ozil. Reportedly, he doesn't want to take a 12.5% pay cut, which has annoyed a few people because he's on a reported £350,000 a week. Now, Steve, we've seen footballers get a bit of stick over the last few weeks amidst this current global situation. And in some cases, not really fairly. In this case, is this why some footballers tend to get a bad rap from the general public. Absolutely. I think, you know, for Mesut to, to come out and say, you know, well, not come out and say, but, um, you know, refuse allegedly the, to take the 12.5% pay cut on a wage of £350,000 a week, that is abhorrent. It's just, you know, it, it, it beggars belief. And, you know, when I seen it, I was, I, I was stunned by it. But I can't say I'm surprised. I think there is questions about the lad's character and the way that he does conduct himself. He's always, you know, kind of a step away from a major headline, isn't he? But the the, the pay cut is, is to, you know, ensure futures and it's to help people out that need it. And it's such a small gesture to him, you know, to be able to do it is, I just think that I don't agree with it at all. And I think Mesut is probably going to have to do some backtracking on that. See, I, I'm, I'm actually fuming about this whole story because there's actually three players who've potentially, and they haven't downright refused, they've questioned this pay cut. Ozil is the only one who's been named by the press, which A, doesn't sit well with me at all. Um, the other thing with Ozil is, apparently he's open to deferring more than 12.5%, but you don't really see that being uh, spouted by Piers Morgan and John Cross about this. Um, the other thing is, if if somebody asked you, to to defer twelve and a half percent of your wages doesn't really matter what you're on whether you're on three hundred and fifty quid a week or three and a half grand you're going to ask where it's going and by all accounts that's what he's done rather than saying I don't want to do it and that he's open to doing more the the other thing is there's there's probably 
a handful of players in the whole Premier League who do more for other people than Ozil. People don't write about this because it doesn't sell papers. But over the last year, so this is just by doing a little search, over the last year he's paid for over 5,000 operations for children across the world. He's paid to feed 100,000 people in refugee camps in Syria. Donated every single international bonus since Germany won the World Cup to charity and works for and is the patron of a children's charity. This isn't a guy who does nothing for people. He's just a guy who is an easy target because of the money money he's on. And you get people like Piers Morgan just grilling Ozil. The other two players haven't been named. And that in itself should raise massive flags of, well, why is it just Ozil? Well, there's other clubs in the Premier League who haven't agreed it yet. City are one who haven't agreed it because they can't agree how much to defer. So this is just like, it's just frust- it's frustrating that it, I mean, I have no allegiance to Ozil at all. And I, I question why he's on that money because I, I don't know if he's that good a footballer anymore. But it's always him. And it, it's just a little bit weird. And I don't, I don't think there's any, well, I don't know what the reason behind it is. It's probably just because he's an easy target, but... I think in this place, he's uh, he's quite wrongly on the end of it. Unless he has downright refused it, in which case it's a bit odd. But by It is case. odd if he has downright refused it, but by the same token, he's within his rights to do that. So does he deserve such condemnation? Because at the end of the day, and this is just me playing devil's advocate here, he's not a British national. He's probably unlikely to use the NHS for an example, which doesn't mean he shouldn't donate to it. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying in terms of a donation he's unlikely to use it he's more likely to be using a private hospital or something through through the football club and Pep Guardiola we saw donated a million euros of his own money to Spanish hospitals but no one was too annoyed about the fact it wasn't being donated to the NHS so although this is kind of causing a bit of a storm Steve I do think that there are kind of counter arguments to this mm. yeah yeah po- probably yeah I think that um, I, did, I didn't know that he did all that charity work admittedly then that's quite an impressive list of stuff that he does. But I just think that, um, you know, having heard a lot more insight from Adam there, I think that, um, you know, he is a target. There is a witch hunt for it, but it's just, I don't know, there's no smoke without fire with Mesut, is there? You know, it's. I think there's some stuff that goes on where, you know, and I think the performances on the pitch have not been particularly fantastic for him, you know, across a consistent period. And I think that it's a very, very difficult situation because I think, like we've just said, when you're asking people to take pay cuts, it is, uh, you, you're going into murky waters, aren't you? And, um, you know, and if I think we need to get some, you know, facts around it, really. I think it's annoying that it's it's so public. Like it, must, it must be weird that your actual wage and what you're going to do with it is public. Like, it's in the public eye for you to be slated for it. It's just, but that is football at the end of the day. So that that's kind of the... The realm that we're in but it's it's proper Piers Morgan gear this that he's just it's it's a big headline for him to go and throw some fire at and see what happens but well from one contentious figure to everyone's favorite newspaper the sun uh, I won't say that too loudly when Steve's on the podcast uh, reports in that paper today have claimed that Arteta yeah. has actually pressured his players into doing this as they felt that they couldn't say no to him now is that uh, an aspect of Arteta's management that perhaps we haven't really seen too much of. Is he a bit of a dictator or is it just because they couldn't say no to him because he's so nice? Or just because he's the manager. Well, yeah, he's they're the gaffer. Just, just, where, where have they got that from? 
or allegedly uh, Arteta's forced them. Come on, I, I, I'm with Steve on this. I'm not, I'm not having it. I think this the 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 source uh, or, or the the you know the uh, reputed publication that has uh, has put that out. It leaves a lot to uh, uh, to answer anyway and and desire. And I think it's just it's clickbait. It's it's you know it's sensationalism and it's just and it's probably just downright lies like it always is. <laughs> yeah, they... I'd, I'd leave you to say that rather than me. <laughs> yeah, that's ESP... fine. I've got no problem saying that. Uh, Niall, ESPN have said. Um... So their source is slightly different to the Sun, would you believe? And they've said, Arteta has insisted no player voting against the proposal will be thought of negatively. Um, However, as underlined the wholesome values Arsenal should represent as a club and highlighted the powerful message it would send in becoming the first English team to agree pay cuts. Again, no other English team has managed to get every player to agree. So the fact that Arsenal have got to three players is, is probably quite good. At this point, so and I, you, I can't imagine Arteta being this this overseeing dictator of, you must do this. What what's he going to do if they don't? Oh, you're out. Okay, never mind. Anyway, that's the Arsenal story. Mesut Özil allegedly refusing a pay cut, but I think there's more to it than that, as uh, Keezy and Steve say. Anyway, on to some Premier League transfer rumours now, and one that's come from Spain is that Felipe Coutinho could swap his current pastures of Bayern Munich. Of course, he's on loan from Barcelona. For Chelsea, a return to English football, a return to the Premier League, and this time heading to West London instead of Anfield. Now, Steve, you'll have, I don't want to say fond memories of Coutinho. I think that it's maybe split opinion over there on Merseyside as to whether Coutinho should be regarded highly or not so highly. But this story is suggesting that it will cost Chelsea upwards of 79, 80 million pounds to bring him in. Yeah, I think this is the most Chelsea-like transfer story uh, that you can get, really. I think... Um, I could see him at Stamford Bridge. I could see him. You know, there were some rumours going around last week about Newcastle in, in in light of the, you know, the takeover. I could see him at either club. To be fair, I think he's desperate to get back into the Premier League. Um, Chelsea do have a couple of midfielders that are, are out of contract. Out in terms of, I think it's Pedro and Willian, isn't it? That yeah. um, uh, might be leaving the club. So you know, there probably is a space for him in that midfield. And and when he's on song, he's absolutely incredible. Um, I think our problem with Coutinho as Liverpool fans, because it's happened a couple of times over the years, is that you know these players they hit the heights at Liverpool and they start playing the best football of their career, and then you know the the bright lights come and their heads are turned, and the, they find that the grass isn't always greener. You know, Michael Owen did it when he left for Real Madrid, and we won the Champions League the season after, and um, you know Coutinho's uh, done it, and, and we've won the Champions League, and it looks like you know we're, we're about to win the Premier League at some point, and I just think that. Um, you know, he's. We, I mean, we've had the option to sign him ourselves last summer. Uh, there, apparently, it was an eight million loan fee, and uh, the two hundred and fifty grand a week wages, um, which again was published. Adam, you know the number. <laughs> and uh, apparently, Michael Edwards and Jurgen Klopp had a three minute conversation about it, and and it, it it was put to bed. But I think he will end up at someone like Chelsea, and I think you know, can he hit the heights of of what he did at Liverpool and. Um, only time will tell if they do spend an enormous amount of money on him. I think he'd do really well as well at Chelsea, Coutinho. Um, there was rumours, wasn't there, last year that he was going to go to United. And I, don't, I couldn't really see... I mean, he would obviously fit in there because they were lacking that kind of player that they've now filled with Fernandes. You could, you could see him at a Chelsea or an Arsenal and doing quite well. But has he played enough football over the last two years to be right back at the top? I don't know. 
he's still a very gifted footballer, but he's not a bad replacement for Pedro, is he? Really? He'll be 28 in the summer. So, I mean, is is 80 million for a 28 year old? Is that is that looking a little bit steep, especially someone who hasn't performed the last couple of seasons? Yeah, I think he he's probably more in your 50 million realm. But who knows? I mean, De Bruyne's 28, and you, I mean, you could argue that he's the best in that position in the world. So. Coutinho has probably got another big, big move in him, and this this might be the one where he's got his final chance to uh, to do it. Chelsea seem to be dominating the transfer rumours in the Premier League today. Also in the papers, Gianluigi Donnarumma, the young AC Milan goalkeeper, is said to be in line for a swap move with current Chelsea keeper Kepa Arisa Balaga. That's coming from various sources. I think the, the goalkeeping situation at Chelsea has been questioned over the last season or so. But I think the main issue at Stamford Bridge is what to do with those free agents that you mentioned, Steve. You say Pedro, Willian and Giroud, also another one of those free agents. But... There's 57 in total who are out of contract on the 30th of June in the Premier League. Um, there's some good players going for free this summer. Definitely. Um, I mean, I was looking at the list myself and I've just pulled out five that jumped out you know, straight away at me. Um, you know, One was Ryan Fraser from Bournemouth, uh, who who is a decent winger and I think he could do a job for, for the team higher up. Obviously, William we've mentioned. Uh, Adam Lallana at Liverpool will, will, will be a steal for someone, I think, if they can keep him fit. And then you've got David Silva from City and, and Jan Vertonghen from Spurs as well. So, you know, there's a decent list of people knocking around where people can get some bargains done. Weirdly, um, Lundstrom at Sheffield United hasn't agreed a new contract yet, which surprised me. He's been one of their best players this season in a season that has been pretty outrageous. So he, he surprised me that he's he's not agreed a deal yet. We know Silva's going to head to Spain, um, or so we believe he's going to be off to Valencia. I think at first there was rumours he was going to go over to into Miami, but I don't think that's gone very far, so I think he's probably going to head off to Valencia, which is a nice move. Um, there's Mendy at Leicester, who's uh, who's half-decent as well. There's there's a lot of players here you could cobble together a good top 10 side with if you put them together. Joe Hart is on a free again, like he is every summer. Um, as, as you say, Ryan Fraser is a is a steal for somebody and you'd probably look at Arsenal or I know Liverpool were, were linked with him as cover but he's going to end up at a top club Vertonghen is definitely one that could shore up a lot of defences I, I don't know why he's uh, he's never agreed a new contract as everyone else at Spurs seem to have yeah I think it's probably because of how unsettled that that the you know the defence is at Tottenham isn't it you know Jose has yeah. been all over the shot with that defence and I think Tongan seems to me to be one of them players that needs the confidence of a manager who's going to start him a lot of games and he's going to be able to forge a partnership with someone. And I think yeah. at 33, could he do a job at someone like, like, like I don't know, um, you know, let's say Bournemouth or West Ham or something like that? He probably could do. It's an interesting debate because centre-backs, centre-halves have been the flavour of the month. I mean, you look at the likes of Harry Maguire and Virgil van Dijk and good defenders I mean Arsenal need one and it looks like you're going to be paying top dollar in the next couple of windows for a decent centre-back when you've got experienced seasoned Premier League players like Gary Cahill going for free last summer you've got Vertonghen possibly going for free this summer I mean defenders they can kind of hold fort at the back for a lot longer in their careers as we've mentioned with Declan Rice earlier on in the podcast you can as a centre-back play for a lot longer than you know your conventional forward and there's very few of them like you say, that's why Maguire and Van Dijk have gone for such big money, is because there are very few really good centre-halves. Same with Laporte at City, they don't go for cheap. The The biggest one on this list, and I've, I've changed my mind, 
um, and this club would be very silly not to time down to a new contract, which they will, is Ben Foster at Watford, who's probably been probably been one of the better keepers this season outside of uh, your top three, four teams. So he's he's thirty seven now, <clears throat> but surely they're gonna they're gonna get him back in on a new deal because he's he's kept them. They could have been down at some point earlier this season, and he's kept them in with a with a chance. So I think Ben Foster, as long as they stay up, they've got to keep him around. It's funny how different people view different players throughout the course of the season because I actually think Ben Foster's not been at his best this season, if I'm totally honest. Um, but that's just weird. That's just a quirk of football, isn't it? Um, I'll tell you what is a quirky story, which we're going to end the podcast with, is what's been coming out of Crystal Palace over the last 24 hours. I think Crystal Palace have clearly got bored in lockdown because they're now trying to claim that they're the world's oldest football club still playing professionally. Yes, that's the long title they've gone for. World's oldest football club still playing professionally. Currently, that's a title held by Notts County. They proclaim to be the world's oldest professional football club. So I think the reasoning behind this is maybe Crystal Palace are keen to sell the club in future and this is kind of a good marketing tool for them. That's just me maybe being a bit cynical. But if you could claim something historical as your own, football-wise or otherwise, what would you go for? I don't know. Oh, no, I would have um, started Apple. The The face of Apple, Adam Kiewer. I I would have started Apple or bought all of the shares in it in the early 90s. That that would have been uh, would have been mine, but the the whole palace thing, I, it took me about two minutes to Google before that. Surely it's not right, because what what I've seen when I googled it is that Crystal Palace eighteen sixty one were an amateur team that were dissolved, and Notts County started in eighteen sixty two as the oldest pro club. I I don't quite understand, and then Palace were reformed in nineteen oh five. So. I don't know what they'd try to do here. I I don't <laughs> don't get it. It's just I I just think like I said I think they've got bored in lockdown. I genuinely do, and I think they've done some research into the club's history. Or, like I cynically pointed out a moment ago, Steve, they might be angling for a move um, for new ownership because the current ownership at Crystal Palace have been questioned by supporters for perhaps a lack of investment, much like we've seen at Newcastle under Mike Ashley. Um, there's been question marks over the way that the club conducts its transfer business and the way that the club conducts its business in terms of contracts. However, they are a solid Premier League club now. They've got a good manager in Roy Hodgson. He's just signed a new one-year contract. The Premier League, financially, we know, is a difficult place to be an owner. I mean, is this a possible marketing tactic for Crystal Palace to maybe encourage new investment from outside because it has a nice ring to it the oldest football club still playing professionally yeah I think you know they probably are they probably I think there'll be a lot of envious eyes you know cast at the other end of the country you know with what's going on at Newcastle but I think you know there's got to be a, a sense of realism injected in it. Crystal Palace and no Newcastle United um there's absolutely no doubt about that and I think that uh, in terms of fan base ground you know Crystal Palace are one of many London clubs that, that are around and you know when you talk about dilapidated football ground Selhurst Park is 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 not a great football ground and you know that needs proper money spending on it and you know potentially a move away from there at some point and I just think that um, they are probably trying to do it, but I think, you know, is, is Crystal Palace that an attractive proposition for someone to come in and pump serious cash into it? I'm not so sure it is. It's like one of those uh, really weird pitches on The Apprentice with a, when, when the team's called, like, Synergy 
and it's yeah, it's a bit David Brent this anyway. So yeah, yeah I just think it's um, you know I think there's there's ways and means of going about you know trying to sell your football club because a lot of you know clubs in the in the Premier League have done it in more recent times, haven't they? And I think that um, this one just seems a bit odd when like like Adam said, he's just done a quick Google search this morning and found and quickly debunked the uh, <laughs> the story that Crystal Palace are coming out with. And I think that um, you know they, they'll have to get some consultants on the go and. You know, try and you know search the market and see who's interested in investing in Premier League and um, going from there. Really, good luck. Yeah, good luck to Crystal. Good luck to Crystal Palace. Um, hopefully, everyone's keeping safe during lockdown. This has been Football Social Daily from Sports Social. Thanks for listening to the show. Don't forget, we've got another podcast coming out on Friday, an AQA session, as Jim Salverson likes to call it. I had no idea what that meant. The last time I checked, AQA was the exam board that did my maths exam, but that's, what Jim, likes, that's what Jim likes to call it anyway. All questions answered, he says, and we'll try and do our very best to do that on Friday's podcast. So go and give us a message, a DM on Instagram or on Twitter at the Sports Social is the handle you can find us and let us know what you want to hear on the show and we'll try our very best to answer your questions don't forget to hit subscribe as well and you never miss another episode but that's it for today thanks very much Steve cheers thanks very much Adam thanks mate I've been Niall thanks very much for listening to the show Uh, don't forget to subscribe and we'll see you on the next show Football Social Daily with German Donner Kebab Kebabs done right and delivered right to you via Uber Eats and Deliveroo Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.